You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in again. It is Wednesday the 7th of december it is the most beautiful winter's morning here in tw11 sharp cold bright and you'll have to excuse the surround sounds today the dogs barking the children are off to school there's um, some drilling going on right above my office here so you'll just have to bear with us uh, there's plenty of important news to get through in the next half an hour 40 minutes or so on the racing front willie mullins multiple irish champion trainer is about to unleash the big battalions. Yes, he might be without one of his stable stars, Alaho, for most of this season, but step forward, Galapin Deschamps and Energumen, both of whom may be in action at the weekend. Likewise, appreciate it, who's got an engagement in a novice's chase. But later in this programme, we'll be talking to Joseph O'Brien, who is attempting to stand in his way, most notably with Fakir Duderis. Later in the show, we'll be off to Hong Kong. We'll also be off to South Africa. But first, the important news coming out of Ireland the trainer Ronan McNally, who we featured quite a bit on this podcast and has always given fairly engaging interviews about some of his much-talked-about stable stars, including Dereal Deal. Well, the Irish Horse Racing Regulatory Board have slapped him with 10 charges, many of which he's been found guilty. Hearing date has not yet been set. Full written reasons have not been published yet. They are to follow. We're going to hear from McNally in a moment, who clearly as has been reported in this morning's Racing Post, is deeply upset. You'll be able to find out a little bit more in just a second. But first of all, as I welcome in uh, Jack Keane, uh, writer on The Sun, racing writer on The Sun. Um, Jack, just give us a, a summary of exactly what McNally and his co-defendants have been charged with and what's an extraordinary and, and groundbreaking case in, in Irish horse racing regulation. Yeah, morning, Nick. It's um, quite a spectacular case, this one. It's a huge investigation with... Goodness knows how many strands to it. There are eight people implicated in the case uh, brought by the IHRB, but uh, Ronan McNally is very much at the centre of it. It involves uh, not running horses on their merits, treating the race course as a schooling ground, schooling in public, essentially, uh, passing on inside information. Now, uh, Ronan McNally, he's, like as you say, he's had a, a great deal of success over the last few years, particularly with those horses, the Jam Man and Drill Deal, um, but he, he denies these charges, he, he refutes the allegations, and he is going to appeal. But this is, um, as we just said, it's it's quite a, an incredible investigation. This it's, It seems to have gone, a lot of work has gone into this by the IHRB, um, and they are clearly very confident of the evidence they have against Mr. McNally. But um, this is going to rumble on a lot. There's a lot, there's a lot of stuff to unpack here. If you go through the the document on the IHRB website, it's um, it's a pretty hefty tome and uh, it's going to be fascinating to see how this plays out over the next couple of months. Yeah, and we're going to just try and unpick that for you in in a little bit and, and try and try and understand what the implications might be, not just for Ronan McNally and his co-defendants, but also for the regulation of Irish racing. And I think and I think British racing is a, is a knock on effect as a whole. Um, Let's, however, listen to Rona McNally. I caught up with him 
about half an hour or so ago this morning and and this is this is what he had to say oh look at a sheer disappointment nick to be honest uh look at we enjoy racing there we got into it for the love of the sport not to to make money so it's uh it's very frustrating there i feel probably uh, have felt this last couple of years been pulled out of the hat to try and make an example of about uh, handicapping horses and things like that things that are going on every day of the week in Ireland, the UK and everywhere else uh, so uh, i just disappointed there just with the the way the whole things went there I don't feel I've probably got a very fair hearing I felt very hard done by by the Turf Club the last couple of uh, couple of years uh, yeah just a lot of things that were going on so I'm disappointed with the findings Uh I'm going to appeal them and hopefully uh, get some of them turned around. Uh, there was things that I, I held my hands up, uh, um, silly things that held my hands up, and I'm willing to accept those sorts of things and straighten some of those things out. But as regards uh, passing on information and stuff like that, didn't that never happened. There's no evidence to say I passed on information uh, the fantasy said I didn't pass on information. I said I didn't pass on information. There's no evidence to say I passed on information yet I've been found guilty of it. So it's totally ludicrous. Uh, I'm going to fight to claim a name. I have never led horses. The Turf Club head of security told me on the phone that he knows from his investigations that I have never led any of my horses and I'm not into laying horses. So what would I have to gain from giving somebody information that would pass it on to someone else to win a few hundred quid? Like It, it makes no sense. You know, uh, I've invested heavily into racing over the last 10 years. Uh, I don't have owners. I've done, well, I've wanted a loan. I buy the horses, I train the horses, I put all my money into it. Any money I've made over the last 10 years in my kitchen business has been into building a nice yard and trying to, to build a nice future for my son, Tubbs. He's heavily involved in the racing, Nick. Why would I risk it all for, for, for silly things like giving somebody a snippet of information that they could use against me? Uh, so yeah, no. Look, I'm heavily disappointed. Uh, I think I've put a lot into the game, uh, so I don't know just where my future lies. Like, so I'm disappointed, and, and I, I do feel very aggrieved at the moment. Uh, there's a lot worse going on in racing at the moment. Welfare issues, people doing. Uh, ah, look, there's a lot going on in racing there, and it seems to be me pulled out of the hat. Just a small man. It's, it all seems to be the small, the small person. Big yards, big people, big owners. Things just seem to get away with murder. And uh, the the small man in Ireland, anyway, always seems to be target. We'll make an example out of him and, and, and things like that. That's how I feel, anyway. That's only my opinion. So. Uh, Look, at there's, uh, there's a lot of positive uh, feedback on, on social media. I feel there uh, that the small man's target again. And, and uh, so, you know, how come the real deal is pulled out of the hat on me, you know, when there's when there's far more uh, serious, far more larger examples of, of what, what's happened, you know? But just look at that. That's my opinion at the minute, anyway. Right, that's Ronan McNally. He's not a happy man. Um, Jack Keane from The Sun is with me. It is, a, as you said, Jack, an intriguing case. First things first, when you read through this, mm. were you surprised? Was there anything that, that caught your eye and you thought would would fundamentally make regulation of racing different in future if if all these charges stuck beyond appeal? Uh, some of the charges brought against uh, Ronan McNally are, I, I don't recall ever seeing them before. For example, uh, where the IHRB say he uh, there was evidence that he did not school two of his horses 
come to come out of the starting stalls correctly. And I, I don't, I'm, we're quite not quite sure how you can prove that. Um, it's the real deal of the ja- and the Jam Man, uh, where they broke slowly in, in respective races on the flat, and they allege that he's failed to properly school them. And it's it's intriguing. I don't ever remember seeing anything like that. How we how you can prove it? I'm not so sure. Um, and you can understand where Ronan's coming from in the sense that he is a, a smaller trainer. And if you accept that this is going on uh, every day of the week, as he says, then he is an easy target to make an example of. But um, th- there's just a lot of strands to this where the, the IHRB must be very confident that they, they have something on Ronan here. Um, because th- there's a lot of it, to, to my eye, without him potentially implicating himself, um, how how you can prove some of these allegations. Yes, and I think that's the key. And we will find that out in the in the written reasons. And I'm guessing we will find that out when when this goes to appeal. There will be more detail as to how that evidence gathering process um, took place. And it does make you wonder, doesn't it, whether the investigative scope of the IHRB has increased somewhat. Let's face it, this is an organisation that hasn't exactly had the best press or indeed reputation over the last two or three years, and much of that has been has been deserved. Mm, absolutely. They've been at the, um, the centre of a lot of uh, these sorts of investigations going on. There have been several scandals uh, in Ireland in, in recent past. Um, but it, it just makes you think, as a racing fan, you're, you're sort of conditioned to accept, you know, it's the norm that horses will run a, a few times to get a mark, potentially not on, your, on their merits, but and you just accept that this is part of the sport. But mm-hmm. clearly... The IHRB is saying they don't want to accept this going forward, that they're going to make an example of, of Ronan McNally and say that they're not going to accept this uh, and they're going to crack down on it. But it's it's going to be fascinating. It is interesting, isn't it? There's there's all sorts of things you'd think sort of happen as part of the of the yeah, slightly unseemly warp and weft of the game. You know, horses not really running on their merits, uh, particularly in you know maiden hurdles, for example, in in Ireland, but also in, in the UK and elsewhere, whether that's for betting purposes or not for betting purposes, just because people want to try and get a mark that, that conceals the, the horse's ability from the from the handicap. But very, very difficult to to prove, though, as you say, it's that sort of where's the body of evidence going to be that that makes this such a compelling case? That's what we're going to to find out. But to your point, is this going to make us all think differently about what we think is acceptable in the sport? Yeah, I mean, if you were to watch, a, a, for example, a maiden hurdle in Ireland and you see 24 runners and it's often, you know, people may make a joke about, well, how many of those were actually off? And we kind of just brush it off as we kind of, we've just become so accustomed to it. But if if the the, the charges are are proven and brought to, to Rodan McNally and he, he faces some form of punishment over this, which you'd expect would be an incredibly severe punishment given the, the scope of the charges against him, then this could really change the shape of the game as we know it you know are trainers going to potentially risk their livelihoods if they feel the IHRB are going to come down on them like a ton of bricks it's going to be um as you say not just in Ireland in in this country as well some of the smaller meetings around the country during the week where you may there may be a horse who's just pottering around trying to get a handicap mark where their trainer or owner feels they'll be more competitive so it's just it could have a huge impact on the game going forward yeah, I, I know that the IHRB used Louis Weston as their um, barrister in this case. He has been heavily involved in BHA cases, most notably acting for the BHA in the Robbie Dunn inquiry. 
And I wonder if that was a a sign of intent on the part of the IHRB that uh, they felt they needed somebody with a bit more regulatory experience and and legal heft on the in their in their corner. Yeah, if you look at Louis Weston's track record, he's he's been involved in some very high profile cases. The, the Bryony Frost and Robbie Dunwell, as you mentioned, but if you look back at, in 2016, he he sat on behalf of the BHA and the the Jim Best inquiry, where Jim was eventually disqualified uh, over similar charges to these. Uh, he was involved in the Rocket Rob uh, case, which was a concern inside in passing on inside information and, and betting conspiracies. So he, he's got a lot of uh, a track record in these kind of high-profile cases, which, you know, again, mentioning the point that the IHRB is clearly very confident that they have something on Ronan Manali here, and they've kind of brought in one of the one of the big guns to to oversee this case. And the point you were making about passing on inside information, mm. quite often we've heard cases where people pass on inf- inside information for you know pretty nefarious purposes, i.e., enabling somebody to lay a horse to lose it's quite rare that we've had a charge brought for inside information when the horse is going to win now in 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 horse racing again this is where we might differ from the rest of the world we might think well that's fine isn't it you give somebody a tip they win job done gamble landed of course to the outside world the particularly those in financial institutions they say hang on a minute that's just that's insider trading you can't do that again culturally i wonder where we're moving on this yeah, it's a lot easier to get a horse beat than it is to to win a race with a horse. Like you say, it's you can say this this horse in the form of its life. We think it's well handicapped, but it still has to have luck in running and, and go and get the job done. So we essentially we accept that to be part of the sport. And you're right if you if you're giving a winning tip, great, happy days, everyone moves on. But you're you're right. It, it may be outside of our little racing bubble um, that would be frowned upon. So it's um, as you say, I don't remember ever seeing charges brought against someone for passing on in, inside information uh, around a winner. So it's, um, yeah, it's just adds another level to this intriguing case. Jack, I, w- I want to give you a couple of tips for the weekend. You ready? Yeah, I've, I've had some, I've had some prime information that these horses are primed <laughs> and ready to go. One's called Galopin des Champs and the other's called Energumen. And they, they run. How long did it take you to pick those out? I mean, it's, I've been up all night, and I've I've used every contact I've got in Ireland and and elsewhere uh, to 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 get these out. And Gold Cup favorite, uh, champion chase hero, both for Willie Mullins, both making their seasonal debuts this weekend. I, it's going to be very disappointing if either is beaten, isn't it? For for that for that team. Oh, it'd be incredibly disappointing. I mean, Gallop and Deschamps first. Obviously, we knew what he was. Know what he was going to do in the in the Turners at Cheltenham when he came down the last. He probably would have won by 15, 20 lengths or so. He, he did end up ending his season with a win at Fairy House, very impressively. Um, but I, I I am intrigued to see how Energumen goes. We we saw he had a very tough race, obviously with Shishkin at, at Ascot, and whether or not that's left a mark on Shishkin is one thing. Okay. Energumen ended up winning the champion chase at Cheltenham, but the race did obviously fall apart when when Shishkin was was pulled up. You just wonder whether those clashes last season left a mark on him. I'll be really intrigued to see what he can do first time out. But Galapand Champ will be long odds on. I expect he'll he'll get the job done. But I suppose perhaps a slight question mark over Energumen. Um, but it, it's going to be it's brilliant to see them both out anyway. 
Yeah, and Egerman goes to Cork in the Hilly Way chase, and the John Durkin at Punchestown is the target for Galapande's shot. He he won't have it all his own way if Joseph O'Brien's got anything to do with it because he's running a horse against him who's a, a horse of very high calibre, the multiple graded winner and, and grade one Melling chase winner by as many lengths as you want, Fakir Duderi, who you think has been around forever, is in fact only seven. And I asked Joseph earlier on today whether it was the plan to run the horse and uh, what sort of nick he was in. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, it looks like he, he's most likely going to run at the moment. Nick, he's in really good shape. Um, he's been summered well. Um, he's just took a little bit longer to come to hand this year than than he has done in previous years. Um, he is getting a little bit older, but as you, as you say, he's not not actually an old horse yet, even though he has been around for a while. And um, we're hopefully going to start off what will be an exciting season for him again. Yeah, he's a horse who, who's got such good grade one form. He looked very, very good at Aintree last year. You'd skip Cheltenham on purpose because uh, you didn't want to go up against Alaho again in the in the Ryanair chase. Have you got a different campaign in mind for him this time round? What what are you eyeing up? Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think there's um, really any uh, kind of firm campaign in mind for him at the moment. Um, but but we hope hope to get him started at the weekend, and hopefully he, he runs runs well and gives us something to to, to build on. He went um, he went from here to Tarlis last year um, for the Kinlock race, so that's a possibility for his next start. He also has options around Christmas time, but. It might come a bit soon. So, um, um, and and he always has tended to be at his best in the spring. So, so hopefully, um, hopefully, uh, we can you know get get his season off to a good start this weekend. And yes, set him up nicely for uh, a good spring campaign. Uh, I know, I know, it's not on the agenda right now. But did did the King George ever cross your mind? Have you have you ever been minded to to really have a, a campaign at three miles? Um, yeah, it, it, it certainly certainly has crossed our mind, and we've discussed it with with, with JP and Frank. Um, um, but but you know we we decided that you know maybe this was a more logical um, uh, stepping stone for him. Um, and uh, um, uh, but yeah, it's 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 it, I, I'd have no problem trying three miles again in in the future. Um, um, uh, but but I suppose he's he's looked pretty good at two and a half, and you know. When you look down through his form, all of his best runs have been at two and a half. So ultimately, that kind of speaks for itself. I notice in the good chase at Cork, the Hilly Way, which can be loaded with good horses, you've got Global Equity in there. It's it's where an Egerman's supposed to be making his seasonal debut as well. Are you happy to give it a crack? Yeah, um, well, I was looking at the at the entry um, uh, coming up to twelve o'clock, and there was only four horses entered in the race, and obviously she's a filly, and and you know it would be great to sneak a bit of black type. So, um, 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 realistically speaking, you know she's she's a fair way off competing with the likes of of an Ergamin, etc. But but um, if the field happened to cut up and not have any runners in it, um, we'd be keen to take our chance and see if we could sneak third somehow. And you're absolutely loaded it seems in the in the juvenile hurdle division as well you've got Nuzret in at, at Doncaster at, at the weekend at, and at Cheltenham where's that horse likely to run yeah I think it's most likely that he goes to Doncaster at the moment um um uh, we've discussed it with Anthony and Simon and, and Isaac, and uh, um, I think he's he's going to go to Doncaster. Um, it looks like the ground is probably not going to be too heavy, which would suit him well. And um, he had a very nice start in Punchestown. There, there was very happy with the horse, and um, it looks like a, a nice a nice uh, stepping stone for him. 
and uh, and midnight run in the in the grade three at uh, Navan is is that a likely runner? Yeah, he's a, he's, he's a possibility to, to run at the weekend. Um, he could also wait for uh, Limerick at Christmas time. Uh, he obviously won it won a graded race the last time, which was great because he had been you know very consistent um, in graded novice chases for the last kind of almost two years. So he, he deserved to win a, a good a good a good race like that. And um, um, it'll be discussed with, with you know Eddie and, and Michael, and uh, we'll see if he goes there or if we wait for Christmas time. I hope you enjoyed the thoughts of Joseph O'Brien. Now we're building up towards Hong Kong International Race Day on Sunday. It's the International Jockeys Challenge taking place later today. In a few moments' time, Maddie Playle, who's on the scene in Hong Kong, is going to catch up with Sylvester D'Souza in what's a really enlightening interview about his time over there. But first of all, with an overview on proceedings, let's join our Hong Kong regular, J.A. McGrath. Hi, Nick. Without doubt, this is the biggest week of the season in Hong Kong. We've got two fantastic meetings in prospect. Today's International Jockeys Championship at Happy Valley is a showcase global event for the Hong Kong Jockey Club. Twelve selected jockeys, all big names in their respective jurisdictions. Then on Sunday, it's the HKIR, as they call it, Hong Kong International Race Day. Four Group 1s at Sha Tin, with prize money totalling £11.8 million. Enough said. Now some bad news. Well, disappointing to be totally accurate. Three of the international jockeys lineup have tested positive to COVID, which means they have to go into isolation and won't be able to ride this week. First, Jai McNeil, the Melbourne Cup winning jockey. He failed earlier in the week. Then the Japanese star Yugo Kawada, and finally, at least I hope he's the last to be sidelined, Mikhail Barcelona. Substitute jockeys have been found. Derek Leung seems to be the chief beneficiary. He picks up the Tony Cruz-trained Circuit 7, a great chance in race 4 today, the first leg of the IJC. The International Jockeys Championship is going to be hard fought, that's for sure. I see it as a battle between James McDonald, ranked the best jockey in the world in two separate polls recently, and Hong Kong champion Zach Purton, who attempts to win the IJC trophy for the fourth time. I think McDonald can win race seven, the third leg, aboard six Nimble Nimbus. A very handy sort, still well handicapped in my opinion. I fancy him ahead of Zach's number nine, Packing Famous, who he rides for the first time. And I believe the same two jockeys will fight out the finish of the fourth leg, race eight today, with Zach aboard number seven, Exponential, but McDonald's number eight, a pleasant endeavour also has a good outside chance. In my eyes, the first leg, race four, can go to Purton on number seven, Supreme Lucky, while I give Tom McQuand a big shout on four, Spicy Grill in the second leg, race five. Now, there are also two good bets on the undercard that you must not miss. The first of them comes in race six, number eight, How Deep Is Your Love? Ryan Moore has stepped in to take over from Barcelona on this one, and this is an improving John Size import who's typical of the size uh, horses, uh, and I think he can go in here at a fairly good price. Number eight, how deep is your love uh, to beat? Uh, number 12, sixth generation, which is Zach Purton's uh, mount in this race. 
Now, later on, uh, we have in race nine, Six Rise Brethren for James McDonald. This horse has been knocking on the door and in this class two race over nine furlongs will be very hard to beat. That's Hong Kong racing today. I hope to be speaking to you later in the week about the big Hong Kong International Race Day that comes up on Sunday. J.A. McGrath staying in Hong Kong. That's where we head once again now. Maddie Playle is enjoying the Hong Kong International Race Week and she has caught up with Sylvester D'Souza, who's now based himself in one of the world's most competitive groups of, of jockeys. And Maddie began by asking him how he was finding it, how he was settling in. Yeah, it's been great and, uh, you know, I've been getting plenty of rides and I've uh, uh, been doing a lot of track walks in the mornings and, uh, but uh, I've been getting the results in the afternoon, you know. And uh, no, been good so far, and uh, you know it's nice to be in the IJC, and uh, I'm delighted in the position I am. It seems to suit you quite well. You've obviously had a lot of success over here. Um, do you? Does it agree with you, Hong Kong? Do you feel you're quite well matched to racing over here? <laughs> this place is different. You need to deliver the results to you know to get better rides and. Uh, I've been here, it's my fifth time I've been in Hong Kong, on and off, you know, and this time I hope to stay a bit longer than usual, and, uh, you know, but the race is very tactical and different than the way we ride in England, you know, and I think you just have to be a bit more sharp and uh, be aware where the horses are and where to go, and, you know, it is it, very different, it's very tense race, you know. Mm. And was leaving the UK a, a difficult decision? Yeah, it was. Yeah, I love the place and uh, I love riding in England. But uh, you know, and obviously when the way is prize money and the traveler you do, you're not allowed to chase two meetings. You're not allowed to chase rides, and I have no retaining uh, this year. So uh, I was making life hard and you know uneasy. But uh, you know, it's just like, and I still feel really well, and I love riding. So and. Uh, Coming to Hong Kong was something I always have in the back of my mind and always I want to do, you know, because Hong Kong race is so competitive, you know. Sometimes you see like six, seven horses in a picture fighting for a, for a winner, you know, and, uh, you know, whatever who has the best way around wins the race. Mm. So, do you feel like you weren't given the credit you, you deserved in Britain? I don't know. <laughs> Did you deserve another big, a big job after the King Power? And I don't, I, well, I don't know. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, England is, as much as the country is very big, is very tight with big owners, you know. You see, like, the Arabs dominating from day one, you know. They have uh, the best horses and, you know, probably in the whole country is only five or six big owners, you know. And we fight against two, probably 200 jockeys. Mm. So now I, I I took every opportunity they give to me, you know, and uh, obviously, you know, and everything come to an end at some point. Do you think you need to have a, say, a sort of mentality to, to make a success of riding in Hong Kong? Only time will tell. I don't know. I, I, I didn't come here to be a champion. I just come here to, to try the winners and, you know, obviously I'll try my best and then and every race, you know, so... But uh, I like they would say, I'm feeling good and I feel I'm riding with full confidence. And you know, if it doesn't happen in one race, and could it happen next time, you know? And uh, but uh, over here is a place you ride with a lot of tension, and uh, you know, you have to deliver the winners. So you're going out there 
and uh, you have to go when you have no friends. You have to go to ride a winner. You've already been hit with some some suspensions. How have you adjusted your style? Well, you know, is 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 like the way you can't make things happen. This place, you have to wait for your time, and uh, obviously, you know, but that's part of the game. So, you know, I I got a few suspension, and uh, but it's still here, still breathing. <laughs> so we no, but that's the way is the place, you know. Have you set any targets, or it seems like you have to take things day by day here? I take things day by day, you know, and uh, you know, obviously the top jockey dominating the rides, and uh, because the environment is not that big, you know, and as much as big as this is small, you know, and uh, it's just take as it come, and you know, and the rides is very jumpy like you know the top dominates and the other people behind they just share the rides yeah do you find the social aspects of racing here important to you know building good contacts with owners and trainers and and getting on those horses on the bigger days absolutely yeah but uh, you know at the moment with COVID we're not able to do anything and uh, you know we've just been hiding and just do track work and you're not allowed to do a lot of things, you know, social. But over here, they're very friendly. The owners are very friendly. They like when you ride their horses. They like to take, to talk to you and like to know about the horses, how they feel and how they, you know, how they improve and how they're going to improve, you know. Yeah, and you are a former winner of the IJC, so you're coming back to win it again later tonight. Do you enjoy that racing against different riders from different places? Does that add extra interest for you? Yes, yeah, it's. You know it's different you know it's different you only see that here in hong kong so it's uh, we're trying to they're trying to pick the best riders around europe and around around the around the world you know fingers crossed you'll be able to do that and then on to sunday you've got four rides in the group ones i mean that that's a pretty good going you must be really happy to have secured those horses yes it is yeah and uh, it's, it's it's nice and I got back on money catch and uh, I won the lady sports here on him and was a handicap and he's an improving horse I couldn't ro I couldn't ride him last time because I had all the commitments before I rolled him over here commit make commitments to ride very later very early you know and uh, delighted to be on money catch and I got white uh, white cuckoo for John Sires and uh, got one for Denny Sean as well. Yeah, and on on Money Catch, obviously that's a, a a race that you've done very well in the past. You won it with Glorious Forever, the Cup in twenty eighteen. Um, where did that rank in in your achievements? Do you think? I, I think you know, just putting the owner's mind and and the trainer's mind in Hong Kong and able to ride in the course. Yeah. And why Kuku? You mentioned him. He's been there and done it. He's a, a three-time Group One winner. Yes. Uh, what are the what are the vibes ahead of his run in the mile? It was a great run. You know, he finished third behind two good horses, and uh, you know, and I think the horse is going to come on from the run. And uh, I just hope to have a smooth run and would be easy in a big day. But uh, we try our best. It's a nice horse. It's a nice ride, and uh, you know, he's not a certain, but uh, he should be competitive enough to be in the race. And the sprint looks very wide open. It's intriguing. It looks like any number of them have chances. What about Cordyceps 6? And he ran a brilliant race. And probably last time he was a bit further back than what I want. But the other horses dragged me back. And uh, when I got a position, uh, he feels very well. I think it will be hard 
to beat the stable mate Ryan Moore was riding him, picked up the ride, and uh, but he yeah he 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 could surprise everyone. Okay, and finally Butterfield in the bars. He's come into the boil a little bit. He's been running respectably. Yeah, he's been quite busy, and uh, you know, and he's been very busy. He has a couple of consist like quick runnings, and uh, but he feel well, and I I gallop him in the morning. And he's he's still in top form, and stepping up in triple will be suitable for him. All right, sharp-eyed amongst you will realise that we didn't go around the bloodstock world with our friends at Weatherby's yesterday, Tuesday, but you haven't had to wait long because I've only had to wait another day to check in with our guest this week from South Africa. And I'm very pleased to say that I'm joined by Justin Fermark, who is Director of Racing for Cape Racing, the body responsible for racing in the Western Cape, uh, with two major race courses, the principal one being Kenilworth and also Durbanville, about half an hour from Cape Town. He's also responsible for two major training complexes, Cape Thoroughbred Sales. It's an all-encompassing role, getting into just about every nook and cranny of South African racing, which has needed a, a really significant boost and rescue package during the course of the last 12 to 24 months. Uh, Justin, what a, what a challenge, but what an exciting one for you and, uh, and your team. How are you finding it so far? Yeah, thank you, Nick. Yes, yeah, that was a very, very nice introduction. Thanks very much. But it does uh, encompass pretty much the challenges we're facing at the moment. And just to give uh, you know the listeners and yourself a bit of context and historical background, the the management of the Western Cape horse racing scene was done by uh, the governing body and the operator uh, that was based up north in Johannesburg. And everything was pretty micromanaged um, by the team up there. And with the new takeover by our chairman, Greg Bortz, he has particularly had to hire a bunch of of staff members, people that are, you know, talented in their specific roles. And it's been a bit uh, different to a, a regular takeover, which would normally mean cutting staff and cutting budgets etc greg's had to come in and hire people so it's been very entertaining i must say that uh, to say the least but um, it's been a building exercise we came on board in in july um, the last part of july early august and we've had to build pretty much the operation here from scratch and uh, it's going really really well we've started off with a few initiatives uh, identified problems early on in terms of racing operational problems which was pretty much horses not running as as often as they should be. So we brought an appearance fee type scheme similar to as they have in Singapore. And uh, we've seen our field sizes jump from eight and a half runners to race to now 11 runners a race in November. And obviously, as you would know, Nick, uh, along with increased field sizes comes all the the um, betting turnover and the, the the increases on course attendance and all that as well. So it's been very, very challenging, but um, so far things are going pretty well. Just tell me exactly the difference that makes to to the sport in South Africa, field sizes going up from 8 to 11. Can you sort of put some context on that in in terms of how much extra revenue that generates for you? Well, we've seen, yeah, we've seen a 27% increase in turnover across the board, and we've seen up to 56% increase in turnover on course. And the way that the co-mingling structure works in South Africa is over-the-counter betting that happens on course, 100% of that revenue comes to the local operator compared to bets that are struck online or in, um, you know, off-course facilities where it goes into a co-mingling pool, and the three operators would share that proportionately. So direct betting on course obviously boosts the coffers of the local 
operated dramatically. And we've um, we've managed to really boost the stakes pots. I mean, just after COVID, when things were looking pretty dreary, we were racing for, you know, in rand terms, 60 to 70,000 rand a race on average, whereas our festival meetings are, are being run for 135,000 rand. So we've, we've literally doubled the prize money in the last three months, which has obviously had a massive impact on, on just ownership in general and uh, the race course experience. So it obviously, uh, you know, the former sales company, Cape Thoroughbred Sales, was was in private hands, and one of our our key notices when we when we came in was to try and get all the revenue streams to come back into the operator. So what we did was start our sales company, Cape Racing Sales, which has pretty much filled the void that CTS left behind. And uh, all the revenue that we get from the sales company comes back into the stakes pot as well. So we've been on a major mission just trying to draw all possible revenue streams back into the operator's coffers so that we can keep increasing prize money year in and year out and uh, obviously we're having our premier sale in January this year and uh, it's an exciting one for us Nick because we've, par- we, we've partnered up with Tattersalls and uh, they're essentially powering our, our premier yearling sale our first one in January which will be held on the 12th which is in the week of the now Lormorant King's Plate um, and it's a pretty f- famous event it's one of the top five uh, race days around the world and um, it's a it's a big asset for the racing operator, and to have our sale in that week, we've got a lot of um, international and a lot of British buyers coming along to look at the horse flesh on offer in the in the sale. We are partnering in with Tattersalls, and then to enjoy the hospitality of Gaynor Rupert and her Lormrans and Drakenstein team. Um, the English listeners will be f- more familiar with her operation in England called Caton Park, which is growing in stature, and uh, she's a massive player mm. in our part of the world, and uh, it really is a, a headline week for travellers. We have a, a great group of people who have been coming out from England for many years who will be coming back and then um, some new people that Tattersalls will be bringing as well. Justin, I was really interested in a, a phrase you used when you were interviewed about this some time ago when you said that you had a, a package of incentives to weaponize Cape trainers to draw in more owners and, and grow the size of their yards. What, what will that package entail? How are you going to improve the ownership experience in, in Cape Town? Yeah, well, you see, first, the problem as, as we came and we started doing analysis and identifying problems, I think, you know, there's, we had a pretty similar problem to what UK Racing has been facing, except ours was obviously on a much more damaging scale because we were a smaller industry. But the racing industry was going the way of just prize money way too low versus the cost of upkeep. And it essentially was only leaving the super wealthy owners, the owner breeders and the big racing operations flourishing and making it much smaller much harder for the smaller trainers who have a more, should we say, commercial band of owners who are looking for the economics of ownership to match up a little bit more. I mean, no one's really expecting to make a profit owning horses, but, you know, if you can get the bulk of them to pay their way, then there's less turnover, less bleed, and the horse population is affected a lot less. So what we did was we started what we call the race cape incentive scheme, and it is essentially paying what works out to be a third of um, the owner's monthly keep for a horse every time that horse sets foot on the track they earn that incentive um, as an appearance fee and the trainers are collecting saddling fees as well and what we did just as a mechanism to help those smaller trainers who've been battling with with cash flow issues and all the problems that comes along with that is that 
all that money, even the money that's due to the owner on the first of every month, gets paid into the trainer's bank account, not into the owner's. And then it's up to the trainer to credit the owner. So what we saw was a massive improve cash flow for the smaller yards, um, less pressure on uh, debt collection and that type of thing. And in turn, that just uh, frees up a lot of money in their business and they're able to go to the sales, which obviously we are now running, and uh, spec buy horses and put them together with less pressure. So it had a massive effect. And I think a lot of that is you're seeing in the upturn in field sizes and the growth of horse population has been uh, quite big already, which is obviously quite interesting because we've only really had one one two-year-old sales since we launched the incentives and I think longer term with the incentives in play we will see a lot more yearling buying in the yearling season coming up so in the next year two to three years that's when we'll see massive horse population growth. And and Justin you've done just about everything in your career you've been an assistant trainer um, you've been a a fantastically successful jockey's agent you've been a handicapper you were the youngest official handicapper in the world when you were 21 you've been manager of one of the biggest farms in in South Africa as well. How does this compare? How are you enjoying being a senior administrator? Nick, wow, it's uh, it's been a challenge. I'll tell you. Um, yeah, I spent the last the best part of the last decade um, working as a bloodstock agent and traveling the world. I've been uh, buying a lot of horses in South America, and um, I've been very lucky in my career to be associated with some top class people. So, Dr. Andreas Jakobs has been probably my biggest mentor, and he would give me a lot of work in in Europe and obviously running his farm, Main Chance Farms, in in South Africa. And I've been doing some work for John Massara at Arrowfield in Australia. So it was um, quite a change because, you know, in that industry, you're working out of airports and you're managing your own time and and that type of thing. But um, moving into the administration side, I mean, it's leaving home in the dark and coming home in the dark and um, working a lot behind the computer and uh, dealing with a lot of uh, different people and egos and owners and trainers and the like. So it's been challenging. I won't lie to you. It's been it's been very difficult, especially, I think, because we've had a we've founded a new operator technically and not jumped onto systems that were already in play where you've just had to have a handover and then do the best you can do. We've literally been building from the ground up. So it's been really challenging and and it's been 24-7. But I think um, what has helped the fact is that although we're a smallish industry compared to the rest of the world in South Africa, we we have fantastic horsemen and fantastic people working in the industry. You know, when when you're dealing with the likes of Mark de Kock and Gaynor Rupert and Dr. Jakobs, it just makes things that much easier. And everyone knows that we're we're all pulling towards a common goal. And uh, Um, I think that really has helped. Justin, thanks so much for your time this morning. Thank you, Nick. Speak to you soon. All right. Thanks to all my guests today. Jack Keane from The Sun is still with me to wrap things up. Jack, this weekend, we've talked a bit about the December Gold Cup, looked at some of the leading contenders for that this week. Dan Skelton, who was on the podcast the other day, his Midnight River is now a shortest four to one favorite for that race. You heard from Venetia Williams yesterday about Frero Bombu. Paul Nichols's uh, horse, the Il Rodoto, who was amongst the market leaders for the Paddy Power, he's in there. He thinks the new course will suit him better. But I suppose the most eye-catching entry this weekend is Epatante in the international hurdle. Is she going to run? It sounds like Nikki's pretty keen to run. Obviously, we saw her finish second to Constitution Hill on her comeback in the fighting fifth. Uh, it'll be a step down in grade into a grade two at Cheltenham. Uh, ground will probably be on the quick side. and We know she handles decent ground and Nikki seems pretty keen on running I, I suppose the issue is going to be 
the weather it's the, the temperatures are, are going to plummet over the next few days at Cheltenham I think it could get down as low as minus four or five um the track are going to put the frost covers down but it will be a, a, a pain in the neck for Nikki Henderson if if the meeting's called off because then her options become a little bit more limited but he, he did seem keen to run her when speaking the other day yeah I suppose if he doesn't get the opportunity to run it she can either run round behind Constitution Hill again at Kempton that might force his hand to then run her in the Matheson hurdle in, in Ireland over Christmas, particularly as we're not going to see Honeysuckle to the Irish champion hurdle, we don't think now. No, you're right. Uh, that race, it, it, won't, it won't be a weak race. We know every single grade one in Ireland is, is, is more often than not got incredible strength in depth. But if Honeysuckle's not there, then that race does become a little bit more tempting. As we say, Constitution Hill's uh, certain to go to Kempton for the for the Christmas hurdle on Boxing Day. You want to be trying to win races with Epiton. We know that she she's probably not up to beating uh, her stable mate. So the Matheson could be a, an interesting target for for Nikki. It'd be great to see her go over there. It's you know we don't see British horses going over to Ireland outside Punchestown really too much these days. So it would be um, a fascinating little twist if she was to go over there uh, over the Christmas period. It would. I, the 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 interesting one, I suppose, I, whether you'd want to take State Man on after what he did the other day, I don't. I don't know. But you got to give it a go. Yeah, exactly. You know, if you're not in it, you don't win it, Nick. Do you? Precisely, precisely. Um, Jack, what about this afternoon? Have you got something for me for today? Yes, the uh, the one twenty five at Lingfield is where I'm going to go for the tip today, and the um, he's marker leader at the moment, but. Total commitments is uh, dropped to a nice mark. He's got a bit of form over the course and distance. William Carver's on takes three pounds off. Um, the uh, the owner was a long time associate of, of Peter Hedges as well. So Peter Hedges sadly passed away uh, this week. So it'd be great um, if he could get a winner uh, at Lingfield. So I'm going for a total commitment in the 125 at Lingfield. Total commitment at Lingfield then. Jack, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you very much for listening. That was Wednesday, to the, December the 7th. We'll be back to do it all over again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.